0: Take your Bible and let's go to Second Peter, Second Peter, Chapter One. You can go to Revelation and hang a left, and it's a whole lot easier to find. If you see First, Second, and Third John, keep going left, and you will find Second Peter, Second Peter, Chapter One. As the choir was singing, and as you continue to find your place. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 34 that starts out, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my lips. But here's what the psalmist said, David. He said, I sought the Lord and he heard me. And he delivered me from all my fears. He said, this poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him from all of his troubles. He continues on and tells us that the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and he saves such as who have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord delivers him out of them all. What a mighty God we serve. Amen. Second Peter in just a moment. Just a reminder if you missed the offering plate there may be some of these envelopes in the uh, chair uh, in front of you, you'll see an envelope section. If you want to give on your way out, you can put those envelopes in the black bowl. Uh, these, again, you should have one of these in hand. Here's a helpful tip. If you'll go ahead and push up that little uh, tab, uh, it will help you in a little while. And be careful. This, uh, The method of observing the Lord's Supper is not inspired. It's the meaning of it. I don't particularly care for this method, but don't let the method keep you from worship. Because in 1 Corinthians 11, there's a selfish attitude that is all about me that we could get guilty of too. So just be careful there, and let me just be transparent with you. After Good Friday, I have had numerous hundreds of these left over. I think I need to be a good steward and use them, but also... Also, you'll see at the end of how this service will end, that it's probably a good use of partaking of the Lord's Supper. So don't let the method disturb you. That's not going to be the one we get married to. And uh, and so I can promise you that. But uh, prepare your heart for what's coming next. And I get it. I do. I understand. 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's look at some good news. We're dealing with a difficult topic, the topic of addiction. We've dealt with some other difficult topics in the sermon series, In Hiding. Every one of these topics relates struggles, that when we experience these struggles, um, a lot of times we don't want other people to know. We stay in hiding. But let the Word of God speak, and I pray that some will be able to come out of hiding and receive the help that God has in store for you. If you're able to stand, let's honor the reading of God's Word. want to read out of Second Peter chapter 1. Let's look at verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, But also, for this very reason, given all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an inheritance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, we need you to guide us in truth that transforms. Renew our thoughts, we pray, by the washing in of your word. And, Father, move our hearts by the nurture and nudging of your Holy Spirit. Clear our minds of any negative thoughts, any busy, distractive thoughts that might... uh, be about what's going to happen after this or this afternoon, and Father, just give us an ability to hear you speak. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Trapped, out of control, stuck, without hope for freedom or escape. All of these are very real feelings to many who struggle with destructive patterns of addiction. The reasons are many as to why people take the first step toward a substance or an action that could later hold them in bondage. Many reasons, some just to escape to escape whatever is going on. Others, to avoid pain. It could be emotional pain. It could be physical pain. It could even be spiritual pain. Others seek substance or activities to try to manage emotions, to fit in with others, to battle loneliness, to battle anxiety. Heard of those topics before? Some are just uh, rebellious. Others to fill in holes of one's own self-image. Some tried just to experiment. Others to have fun. They'll be honest about it. To get that feeling, to get that buzz because they like that feeling. And the list can go on and on and on. You get the idea. There are numerous reasons that people choose substance or activities that later can hold them in bondage. It should be no surprise that addiction issues are rampant in our culture, but also within the four walls of the body of Christ, the church, because we do live in a self-indulgent society. Scripture emphasizes that there's sex and food and alcohol, and alcohol can be that category that can encompass all mind-altering drugs. These are most common addictions, and these appetites remain the most prevalent even in our world today. Yet the list of potential taskmasters is always on the grow, always expanding. Addiction was once a term that was used for a heavy drinker, and that's pretty much what it was isolated to. But over the past two decades particularly, the definition has expanded greatly. We talk about addiction to many things, like gambling, like exercise, nose drops, prescription meds, sports, nicotine. Here's one for you, technology. It's a big conversation these days. Internet, video games, social media, work, lying. Have you ever known anybody be addicted to lying? Just saying. Success, winning. Caffeine, and we're not going to go too deep there, that'll get personal. (laughs) Shopping, one issue that we'll talk about next week, pornography. The broader view of addictions is important because it challenges us to examine what drives the addiction instead of focusing on that particular drug of choice or that activity. So what is behind that activity? What is it about our human nature that leaves us susceptible to being overtaken by certain desires? Why do alcoholics and drug addicts, compulsive shoppers, secret indulgers in pornography crave things that are wrong and unwise? Why do we excessively desire things that are not necessarily bad in themselves? They may be legitimate like money and approval and comfort but then they become excessive in our life, and we are obsessed with them. Why do we have a hard time saying no to our desires? That's really an issue that we're going to look into. Since the answers to these questions strike, I think, at the core of the human nature, the Bible's teachings are relevant on this topic. I want you to look on your sermon notes, and there's two definitions of addiction They're not the only definition, but there are two of them. One's from Mark Shaw. just Addiction is persistent, habitual use of a substance known by the user to be harmful. That's one idea of addiction, one type that you can zero in on. By Ed Welch. Addiction is a bondage to the rule of substance, activity, or state of mind, a little broader, which becomes the center of life, defending itself from truth so that even bad consequences don't even bring repentance and leading to further estrangement from God, separation from Him. Here's some key questions. I don't want to get bogged down in them, but they are key questions. Is addiction irresistible or irrational? Some say it is irresistible, I cannot refuse, I'm not in control. Others would just say it's irrational, that behavior does not make sense, it doesn't last, it gives only temporary pleasure, and it often results in greater heartache. It's irrational on that end. So is addiction compulsive behavior or habitual behavior? Compulsive behavior would say that I cannot control the behavior, it controls me. Habitual behavior says yes, it's continuous and it's persistent action, but habits can be broken by greater power. Desire or uh, a disease or sin. This is a big topic when you start uncovering addiction. Disease, it means that some sickness, either inside of me or from the outside, overtakes me. I don't have control over it. Or sin which digs deep to that nature that we all have, sinners, by nature and choice. Addiction is a sin nature problem, and the body responds to the substance in natural ways. Here's a sentence that will suggest where I'm headed in my thought process. Substance abuse and addiction manifest as physical problem. But the root issues are in the spiritual realm of one's own heart. So substance abuse and addictions do manifest themselves in physical problems at times. But the root issues are still issues of the heart. And I think we need to wrap around that and understand it because it's important. There is good news for those that struggle with destructive pattern of addiction. There is help for those who struggle against these seemingly can't control cravings. And so hang on. I think it's important that when we talk about topics like this that we need to have good theology, right thinking biblically that help us deal with difficult issues in life. Uh, you need to have a right theology about the gospel of Jesus Christ to understand it is sufficient to break any power. We need to have a right doctrine, understanding theology about sin. And I want to just camp out here a minute. Because we need to know, yes, by nature and choice, we're all sinners. But if we think of sin as something that is only calculated disobedience, we will miss what the Bible says about sin. Sin is more than self-conscious rebellion against God. Yes, it is self-conscious rebellion, but it's bigger than that. It also speaks in Scripture of a blinding power that wants to control or enslave us. Sin. Sin is more than conscious choices. You heard that. Third time. You got it? It's bigger than that. It is that, but it's bigger. Sin can be a cruel taskmaster. Sin can victimize and control Jesus in John 8, 34 says, He who sins is a slave to sin. That's a taskmaster. That's slave enslavement. That's control. Galatians 6, 1 talks about those who have fallen into or been overcome by sin. In fact, there are times when we intend to do one thing, but sin causes us to do things we don't want to do. Any witnesses in the house? I am. Even though we really want to change. It can seem like an overwhelming or impossible task to do so. You want to be in good company? Consider the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 7. Paul says, even though I I don't understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, I end up doing it. Romans 7, verse 15, 17. In other words, sin can feel like it's beyond our control. Disease can feel and is beyond our control. It feels as if something outside ourselves has taken over. Though slavery of sin, which everyone has experienced in this room at some level, in some way, is similar to what we would talk about as far as disease and being out of control, it is still different. The main difference is that slavery of sin is one for which we are responsible, and that's a key phrase. Hear me clearly as we talk about addiction. Certainly there is a physical component to any substance addiction, including nicotine, caffeine, alcohol, or op- opioids, which are huge in our culture today. The term dependent is accurate and it involves real, observable set of circumstances and symptoms. It is true that a person's body may become physically dependent upon drugs. If the substance is used, some of them very few times, some of them have to be used excessively over time. One who is dependent is one who will experience a definitive physical withdrawal if trying to get off them. And for this reason, I would urge that if you understand yourself to be physically dependent upon a substance, then you need not only biblical counsel, but I would encourage you to talk to your medical doctor and get some medical guidance as you go through. It's not uncommon for us to ask for that medical help as we seek to give you biblical guidance. I'm not opening up a can of worms intentionally. I know I could there, but in order to withdraw safely, sometimes you need to be under doctor's care. As a Christian who possesses a new heart and new identity in Christ, I want us to understand this this morning. Addiction is a physical symptom ...of a deeper spiritual problem of attitudes of the heart generally called idolatry in the Bible. Physical symptom of a deeper spiritual problem of attitudes of the heart that the Bible will flag as idolatry, among other things. So the wisdom of Proverbs in the clarion call in Proverbs uh, 4.23 is this. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Let me speak to the idolatry. Idolatry can be defined as the worship of a physical object as a god or excessive attachment or devotion to something. Anybody have an excessive attachment? To this something, try not to look at it for the rest of the time that we worship this morning, and you'll find out if you really have an excessive attachment. But it can be a God, it can be an idol in your life. Idol is the preoccupi- preoccupation in one's thinking that leads to demanding any temporarily pre- pleasurable desire that gratifies self. Self is at the root. Addicted idolaters think and say, I must have this, whatever this is, in order to find my peace or find my pleasure. Idolatry can manifest itself in many, many forms. It's not just some wooden statue or concrete statue. It's not just a religious object, but it can be. Drugs or alcohol or sex or sleep or work or gambling or shopping or eating or living to please someone else more than God. These temporary pleasures that our idols give us are short-lived. They don't last long. And they certainly do not permanently satisfy. They leave us wanting more. The pleasures feel good for a time. That's why sin's a problem. Sin's fun sometimes. It brings temporary pleasure. And if you don't believe it, then you're in denial because it does. There's no other reason that James would say we're enticed by our own fleshly desires. You do realize we have some enemies. The world around us, the flesh within us, and the devil against us. Those are enemies that make cravings that are not good for us. begin to consume and control us. We have to be careful with those. Idolatry quite simply is the worship or the pleasing of self. So at the root of idolatry is the God of me, self. I'm on the throne rather than Christ is. The lie that the world likes to promote is that you're not responsible for your choices. You ever see that, hear that in the news these days? You can't help it? God made you that way? As it relates to addiction, we have some of that same argument. God says, though, in Ephesians 2.10, For we are His workmanship, believers. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, just a nugget here. If God created us in His image for good works, for His glory, He not only will create us for that purpose, He can enable us to achieve it. But we have to tap into his power. Understand God is our creator, and we are his workmanship. The world believes that people have, as it relates to addiction, maybe genetic predisposition, or we have what they call an addictive personality. And I want you to hear this statement. The truth is every human being on planet Earth is capable of becoming addicted to any pleasurable activity because of the capacity for idolatry in the heart. In other words, any one of us sitting in this worship center is capable of being an addict. We can fall victim to that because we choose to satisfy or please self over the pursuit of God. So, I'm not going to get in the argument of genetically predisposed other than to say, let's follow that argument even if, even if there is conclusive scientific evidence that there might be a gene passed on in in our makeup that makes us predisposed towards certain cravings more than others. Even if, and I don't think it's conclusive yet scientifically, But even if there is, here's the reality spiritually, you're still responsible for the choice you make. Even if we're predisposed genetically, when we're born again and become a new creation in Christ and there's a new power at work within us, we can resist the predisposed nature of sin and achieve Christ likeness through obedience to what God tells us to do. Here's where I want to take our thoughts for the next few minutes. Go have to listen fast. I haven't even got past the introduction yet. God has provided us everything that we need to live a life that brings Him honor and glory. And that includes battling tough, tough things like cravings, desires for pleasure from anything other than our God. Here's a huge issue I think facing believers today. We struggle to connect the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ with where we are in life. We might have a right outline of belief about the gospel. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. That Jesus is God's only begotten son that he gave who gave up his life and shed his blood on the cross, he was buried and rose again so that he could offer forgiveness of sin, so that the penalty of our sin debt could be paid in full, so that we could be free in Christ, experiencing the bondage of sin being broken. We can know that. We can know that we're saved and we're headed to heaven one day whenever physical life on earth here ends. We can know that. And we can still not apply... The gospel power to present circumstance. The resurrection power, the power of God that brought Jesus out of the grave is alive and well in the life of every child of God. The same power that brought him out of the grave its the same power that can be appropriated in our lives to say no to the devil, to put him in his place, to resist sinful behavior, and to be set free in Christ indeed. That is a reality. And so there are a lot of times that we know these things over here but we get stuck in life situations whether it's anxiety or loneliness or abusive language or or really dealing with substance that seems now to control me because I made a choice at one time to seek it for pleasure and now it's got a hold on me. Hear me church, the gospel has the power to break the hold of addiction. We can't just say, stop that, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do what's right. That's not enough. The disconnect is what we know and what we apply to be in our life. And sometimes, dear church, we need to be the people who love those who are struggling, who come alongside of them without judgmental attitude, And we sit down with them and open the truth of the Word of God and say, This is what God says. Now, do you take God at His Word? We are to love them and correct them and lead them and train them up in righteousness. And that's why God gave us His Word. That's why He gave us prayer. That's why He's placed His Holy Spirit inside of us. But that's also why He put the community of believers in place. Spurring one another on to loving good deeds. We have a responsibility. Simon Peter wrote 2 Peter, of course. I don't know why the Lord led me to this text, but I know he did. And there's some truths that are printed on your notes, and I won't get through all of them, but but this is what I, I want you to understand about Peter. Peter understood shame and guilt. He was the leader of the 12. He was the mouthpiece of all of them. It got him in trouble sometimes. But he was a man of great potential. And when Jesus began this crazy conversation that I'm going to leave and where I'm going, you can't go with me. Peter says, time out, Lord. That's not true. I have left everything to follow after you. And if I have to die, I will go with you. And Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And we know the context. Peter did. And after he denied the Lord the third time and the rooster crowed, there was eye contact between Jesus and Peter. And the Bible says Peter ran off and he wept bitterly. Do you think he didn't know some shame and guilt right there? The one that he loved the most, he had just denied even knowing him by name. The thing you don't want to do the most, you end up doing it. You understand shame and guilt, don't you, dear believer? It's not just unbelievers that get trapped in addictive, uh, destructive addiction patterns. It's also believers who have not been able to connect into the power of the gospel to set them free. And they may need some help. Listen to what Jesus did with Peter. On that resurrection Sunday and the, and the Lord rolled back the stone and, and the stone was rolled away and the ladies came to the tomb early on that first day of the week and they peered in and Jesus wasn't there. There was an angel of the Lord that says, he's not here, he's risen just like he said. Now you go tell his disciples and you got this, right, in that gospel narrative, and who? Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter to meet me in Galilee. And you can read the end of the gospel narrative of John and you can see that beautiful picture of restoration of Peter who had denied his Lord, who was eaten up with shame and guilt. And then Jesus came and restored him back and said, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep, tend to my sheep. Peter, follow me. And it's that Peter at the end of his life right before he is crucified upside down, that is giving us words that the Holy Spirit taught him. So what did Peter tell us? Verses 3 and 4, God has given us everything we need for the journey. There are two great truths in verse 3 and verse 4 that stand at the forefront of all that we have been given to finish well as children of God. The first is mentioned in verse 3, the knowledge of God. second in verse 4, the promises of God. Whatever spiritual sufficiency we have, it didn't come from within us. It came from a divine source. So we have spiritual sufficiency. Where did that spiritual sufficiency come from? Peter told us where it came from in verse 3. As his divine power has given to us. It has a divine source. But we have sufficient resources from God. Uh, Paul expressed it this way. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Ephesians 3.20. The power that operates in believers is of the same divine nature as that which resurrected Christ out of the grave. Hallelujah, what a Savior. It's not that He can't, it's that we can't. And when we roll over our inability to save ourselves and even rescue ourselves from destructive, addictive patterns... When we roll over and tap into His unlimited resource, the power of the gospel, dear church, is sufficient to break any addiction. For those that want to hang on to the disease conversation, you can do that. I don't get it. I don't claim it. But here's what the Bible says. The Lord Jesus Christ mastered healing people from diseases that man could not heal them from. Just think about leprosy in the New Testament and you'll understand that Jesus did what man cannot. So, don't get lost in the arguments of is it a disease or is it a sin, is it compulsory behavior or is it habitual behavior, but understand whatever you label it, the gospel is still powerful enough to deliver and we need to tap into the power of the gospel. We need to help others do that. We have received everything in the form of divine power necessary to equip us to accomplish God's purpose, to grow up in Christ likeness. Starting today, and it'd be completed when we see Him face to face. First of all, the knowledge of God. That knowledge refers to that which is deep and genuine. It's not how much you know about God, but it's how much you really know Him. And there's a difference. Knowing Him intimately. It is talking about a personal knowledge, an experiential knowledge. Knowing God personally. How do we know God? Well, we meet him personally at salvation, but how do we learn more about him? You've got to be in the word. You've got to be under the teaching and preaching of the word and to know that this God is creator God. He created all things, right? We need to know that he is a God of all power. He is the mightiest of the mighty, the strongest of the strong. With him, nothing is impossible. Connect the dot. Not even my struggle is impossible to this God. He's a big, big God. Nothing escapes his knowledge. There's no struggle that I go through no craving that I have no instinct if you want to call it that that I'm struggling with that wants to separate me from the love of God that he's not aware of but not only is he aware he is sufficient to meet that need he says I am in scripture that is the name of this Lord God Almighty it means I am that I am I'm the all sufficient God we need to know who this God is he is Jehovah Jireh he is our provider he is, the, he is Jehovah Shalom he's the Lord our peace there are times when we're struggling through destructive patterns in life, we need peace, and He is the one who gives that peace. He's Jehovah Shammah. He's the God who is with us. He's with us in the middle of the struggle, but He desires to bring us out of the struggle and deliver us. We've got to have a personal knowledge of God. It's one thing to know that He is Jehovah Jireh and that He provides And we can know that by faith. That's one way to know it. And that's a good way to know it. We accept the word of God by faith. And we accept what it says about who he is by faith. And we may feel like we're in an impossible situation. But we serve a God with whom nothing is impossible. But here's when it really gets personal. When you trust God to provide because nobody else can. And he comes through. You know what you know? He is your provider. You know what happens then? Nobody can talk you out of that. When, when you need peace and life is chaotic, life's been unfair, life is hurtful, you feel like you're being overtaken by whatever circumstances there are, and the peace of God overwhelms you, the God of peace puts that peace that passes all understanding inside of you, nobody can talk you out of the reality that He is the God of peace. See, personal knowledge. He's given us everything that we need. And part of that is the knowledge of God. Secondly, the promises of God. Verse 4. We have very great promises of God. Peter tells us that through them we become partakers of His divine nature. True knowledge of God is always accompanied by a firm belief in the promises of God. If we really believe the right thing about who God is biblically, then we're going to know that He's a God worth believing in, right? And so we're really going to believe that when God makes a promise, then I can count on Him to hold up His end of the bargain. He's a believable God. He's a God I put my trust in. He's a God that I can take His promises by faith and claim them, believe them to be true. We can't just take the promises of salvation by faith and, and know that they're true without taking the promises of deliverance by faith, also. On a daily basis, we can participate in the divine nature. It just simply, all that language just simply means that God's purpose is that he's given us promises for being redeemed and rescued by the blood of the Lamb, but he's also given us promises to live as a people who have been set free in Christ. And then live as a people who are growing up to become like Christ in character and conduct. Sounds a whole lot like making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. A disciple is one who is fully devoted to Christ, one who is developing to be like Christ in character and conduct, and one who is deployed to make Christ known. Here's what I know. You by yourself cannot rescue yourself. You cannot rescue yourself out of sin. That's why we need a Savior. And you cannot rescue yourself out of addictive, destructive, addictive patterns by yourself. And that's why we need to come out of hiding and find truth in the word of God and allow spiritual people to come alongside of us to be teachers and equippers and accountability partners and prayer warriors to help us come out of hiding and be set free. That we shall know the truth and the truth shall set us free. Number two, got to move quick. Make every effort to grow in faith and fruitfulness. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you get to ride the rest of your time here on earth on autopilot. Grace does not negate strenuous effort. Look at verse 5. But also for this very reason, for the reasons he just told us, that, uh, that we have uh, been given everything that we need for life of God and this knowledge of him and great and precious promises to, be, to share in his divine nature, he said, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Giving all diligence. In other words, make massive, maximum effort to live for Christ. We, we can put it in terms like daily quiet time. Make maximum effort to spend time daily in prayer." Make maximum effort, be diligent to open the Word of God and let the Word of God speak. And make maximum effort not to just hear the Word, but to be a doer of the Word and to be obedient. And so even as a child of God, we've been given the tools. And now the Holy Spirit of God prompts us to take the tools that God has given us, the tool of the Word, the tool of prayer, and the tool of His power and presence at work in our lives, and use them to the utmost every day to grow up in Christ's likeness. Make every effort to grow in our faith and to to have fruit. Don't have time to break all of this apart, but let me just read through, beginning with verse 5. He said, add to or supplement your faith. He is not talking about being saved by works. He is talking about uh, to those who have already been born again. But once you're born again, there is a work that needs to be done. There is a working out of our salvation with fear and trembling. And there's an appropriation of the power that God has already given us to be applied in our daily circumstances. He said, Add to your faith virtue, that which is praise-worthy, uh, that which is honorable. Uh, to your virtue, knowledge. That's that experiential knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. Self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit of God. We need self-control in order to control, have control over selfish, sinful, fleshly desires. And to self-control, perseverance. Hanging in there, keeping on, keeping on. And to perseverance, godliness, Godlikeness. that's God's purpose to grow up in Christ'likeness and character and conduct, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful. You won't be unproductive, you won't be useless in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so make every effort. To grow in faith and fruitfulness. True faith grows and bears fruit. I hope you get that picture from that text. Faith grows. And faith grows when it's being stretched, when we're in that place that we can't, when our resources are exhausted. When I've stumbled again and again and again, trying to do it my way. And then I take God at His word. Exercising that faith. Faith grows and faith has fruit. Just like destructive life patterns have fruit. But number three. He said, confirm your call and election. It's interesting in verse 10. Here's that that wording again. But may, God, may the God of all grace who called us, I'm in the wrong book. Let's go to the right one. Therefore, brethren, that was First Peter, by the way. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. Maximum effort to unveil the fruit of the Holy Spirit that is growing inside of you. We don't work in order to get saved, but when we're saved, there's some fruit that make our call and election, very, very sure. And we can get lost in some conversations about calling an election. Now, here's what I do know. You can't be saved unless God calls your name. And once you are born again, you are God's elect. And then that's simple to me. So hang on to that. So whose are you? He's given us everything we need. For a life of godliness, knowledge of God, number one. Do you have that knowledge in a personal way? He's given us everything that we need for a life of godliness, the precious promises of God that help us walk in faith today. Are we exercising our faith by plugging into the promises that God has given us? Well, Paul said it like this. He said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's not of our power or might, but it is of His. So be even more diligent. Abound in the fruit that is the fruit of the Spirit rather than abandon God's way. You might say, God's way doesn't make any sense. Do you know more than God? Has your way worked? Why not try his? And I believe if we really try his, his way, then we'll have a new story to tell. In a moment, we're going to take make good use of these. So go ahead and get them, locate them. You might want to go ahead and get that tab ready. I understand it's a little awkward. But do focus on the content And as we hold these elements, again, I don't believe there's anything sacred about the method, but the meaning is very, very sacred. Jesus left us with a picture of remembering how precious our salvation is. And that picture is a bread element. There's a little wafer in here, cracker, and there's juice. And we know that the bread element represents the body of Christ that was given for us. We know that the juice element represents the blood of Jesus. And here's what I want you to do next couple minutes I want you to reflect upon how much God loves you by remembering through this wafer, this cracker, that Jesus died on the cross in your place because God loved you that much. He took your death sentence upon himself. He shed his blood that was without spot and without blemish so that our sin debt could be paid in full. He did what we needed most and we could not do for ourselves in order to set us free by the power of the gospel. And that's why Jesus said to the church, we must never forget the cost of our salvation. And we remember that Jesus gave his all through his body laid down on a cross and his blood was shed. He was buried, but on the third day he rose again. And so we're going to do this different this time. And I know different is different, and so it's kind of awkward. But in what we call the normal invitation time, I want you to spend some time praying. And what 1 Corinthians 11 reminds us of, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts before we ever worship the partaking of the Lord's Supper. And so allow the Holy Spirit to speak. Are there sins in your life that you need to confess and turn from and seek the cleansing power of God over? Do you need to be honest about some of the struggles that you've been in hiding with? And as we allow God to speak, while we're singing the invitation time, at whatever point your heart is ready, you go ahead and peel back and partake of the cracker and then drink the juice and Jesus commissioned to us, This is my body that was broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. This is my blood that was shed for you. Take and drink in remembrance of me. Allow this time of invitation while the songs will be going on whenever you're ready to partake and just give thanks for the gospel that has the power to set us free. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, but that redemption is not just a salvation thing. It's a sanctification thing that sets us free day after day after day. And so understand, God loved me this much to give his only son for me. And this is your decision to give back to the Lord. Lord, hear my, all of me. And maybe for some of us, we just need to say, God, I can't. I've tried and I've tried and I just keep falling flat on my face. I can't get out of this. Lord, I surrender all. I need you. The power of the gospel is sufficient to deliver. And some may need to call others alongside. We'd love to come alongside and disciple you through the word of God. And part of the commission of the church is to train and to correct and to equip you to know how to make the connections of the truth of God's word and your life circumstances. So after I pray, we'll stand, we'll sing. You can stay seated if you want to stay seated and pray. Or you can come to the altar and spend a moment here at the altar. And when you're ready, I'm not going to lead us corporately to partake at the same time. When you're ready, just peel that tab back and you have a time of worship. And then I'll close us out in prayer. Let's pray. Father, this topic today strikes emotions all over the place. All of us are capable falling into destructive, addictive patterns. So who are we to judge anybody else? Many of us may not be in that place to where destructive addiction patterns are active in our life with drugs or with sex or with alcohol or medicines. But, Father, there may be idols of the heart that we need to deal with right now. And by your Spirit, I pray that you'll examine is there anyone on the throne of my life, my heart, other than Christ? Why do I do what I do? Why do I live the way that I live? Is it for Christ and Christ alone? Or am I selfish? Am I not doing it for selfish ambition? Selfish gain? Selfish pleasure? So Holy Spirit, before we partake, and remember the great love with which we've loved. And the elements of the, the Lord's Supper that are so precious to the body of Christ. May we examine by the leadership of your spirit. May we confess and repent of any sin that you bring to mind. May we surrender our life to obedience. And then may we worship with great joy through these elements. It is in the mighty name of Jesus I pray. Amen.